All right, so it looks like everything's working. I wrote down some stuff that I thought we could talk about that just so we like icebreaker stuff, and then I just try to anticipate what you're gonna what you're gonna be uh, wanting to talk about. So. You sound like you sound like a Goomba. No, I'm trying to not make you sound like a Goomba. <laughs> totally. Because <laughs> I, I do majority of the time. So No, not necessarily. Um, have you uh, – so I guess this is as good a place to start as any. Uh, did you order an Indian Scout yet? No, I hadn't. I, uh, it, it piqued my interest a little, though. Yeah, it did me, too. It did me, too. I wanted to know if Roland was going to ride it off the stage. <laughs> Oh man, bad situation. Yeah, I mean, you know that's so funny, dude. We got some great laughs out of it. I mean, I feel bad for the people that happened to, but we, we did get some great laughs out of it. Nobody got like seriously hurt. People got a little banged up, but I don't think anybody got like you know serious serious hurt. So, but it was oh, okay. the timing of that thing was just epic because <laughs> the guy goes, "This yeah, yeah. this bike has no front." Oh, <laughs> I, I think he actually got brakes out. <laughs> you know what I mean? But uh, I'll go and got seriously hurt. No, it, that uh, that thing on Sunday night was pretty rad too. I thought the production value was was actually reasonable. But I see a difference. Uh, I see now why they they hire people who are overly gregarious and overly attractive looking because they had some some odd people on that on that panel. I'm not you know Johnny Knoxville yeah. obviously is a is somebody who knows quite a bit about uh, Evil Knievel and. Uh, Carrie. Well, he's a crash expert. I mean, he's 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 definitely a crash expert. Yeah, right. Well, it's <laughs> not a lot of crashing. Well, not only that, but he is a historian on Evil Knievel and uh, Carrie Hart. Obviously, been that was, I didn't know that he was the first one to do the uh, the backflip in competition uh, on a motocross. They had mentioned I didn't that. Either. Yeah, they're they're like kind of like qualifying everybody. I mean, as if you needed if you didn't. I would think anybody who's watching Travis Pastrana knows who Carrie Hart is. Yeah. You know what I mean. So, but, um, yeah, I thought that was some of the other people they had on there though. Some of the doctors and, um, there was like a professional snowboarder or skier or something on there. It was just, I don't, it was a little odd and to not have Matt Hoffman on there and come to find out Matt Hoffman was actually, was actually there. I'm just really surprised that they didn't engage him in some of that dialogue because he did know evil Knievel and he did do that evil Knievel little documentary deal. I think a lot of that has to do with probably Indian. I mean, I don't know. I don't have any factual information, but I'm thinking Indian was probably as big a sponsor in that or, or had to, as much to gain as anybody and probably had their hand in who they wanted on a panel or who they wanted commentating or, you know, I mean, I could have been on the panel and not drawn any attention whatsoever, but you know, I, 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 some of the, I mean, I'm a Bill Goldberg fan, but to have Bill Goldberg on there. That's what I meant. It was, to me, it was, is, is a little strange. I but, felt like I mean, they stuck their head out in the hallway to see who was at the party. And went, oh shit. Yeah, Gold, <laughs> come here. You, you want to be on TV for, you know, five minute segment? Cause that's, kind of whatever what I recall it being like everybody had these little segment pieces that they did in and, and you know what most of those people have been around uh, a microphone or a camera or that type of panel before to where they're pretty adept at it like Goldberg didn't have any problem doing it um, those other doctors are doctors that are kind of like orbiting around the television you know 
programs and stuff. So the, 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 the one doctor, I guess it was maybe Travis Pastrana's doctor that was talking about his, his mindset and, you know, his, the psyche and all that. I, I thought that was pretty interesting. I think that people probably fail to realize, you know, how big of a part that plays in something like that. Yeah. I, that was, I, I had never thought about it the way that he mentioned it. And then uh, when Carrie was pointing out, um, hitting the back, tapping the back brake, I never, I, I didn't make any sense to me, but if you think about something spinning around, like with a gyro effect, stopping that, you know, in using that as like, that's like physics, <laughs> I think. Yeah, and, <laughs> I mean, it's way I, above I me. <laughs> I had heard that before and kind of seen some of that before, but to actually, you know, have him replay it and carry talking about it, I thought it was pretty cool to, you know, I'm thinking there's a lot of people probably going, what the fuck is he talking about? You know, but, and all truth it was i mean that's factual information yeah and they had a um the the other thing that i thought was interesting was when they were talking about um uh the the difference between evil knievel doing it and travis pastrana doing it and i to be honest with you i think there's some parity there between those two things if you notice dude he was jumping ramps that were much uh seemed to have a much larger trajectory because he had shorter amount of room to get started and had a more powerful arguably more powerful motorcycle at least a certainly a lighter motorcycle i would think you know what i mean absolutely probably probably half the weight i would think so iron heads are freaking heavy you ever pick one of those engines up <laughs> yeah I try to stay away from them yeah i know you do <laughs> I love them. Oh, God. It's like a hood rat, you know what I mean? <laughs> you can dress them up in a bikini and, and strut them out there at the party, and they'll just act a fool and make a mess on the ground, but they're they're fun uh, to watch. <laughs> and, 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 and a lot of guys do amazing things with them. I'm just not happy to be one of those guys. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the first, bike that I, the first bike that I ever did was a 78 Ironhead. Really? Uh, huh? I thought you did a British bike real early on. Fuck no. I hate British bikes. <laughs> you never did one? Oh, fuck no. That was, that's, your, that's your specialty. I don't know if it's my specialty. I definitely got I got a couple under my belt, but cause, you know, I didn't even think about that I had that one that was done in the horse that Evan and I did years ago uh, at JR that was on the cover of the horse. I was completely not even thinking about that. Yeah, when, uh, when the first bike that I ever redid was a 70 i believe it was a 78 or 77 i i it's it had the it had the goofy shifter had the you know the shifter on the right and the brake on the left uh, uh wait a minute if it was the brake on the left it had to be pre-75 maybe it was a 73 then i don't fucking remember anyway it was sitting in the backyard <laughs> down the street from where angela lived and her dad had been trying to buy the bike for years and never could get it bought and we finally we finally got it bought, and this dude had this big elaborate story about how it belonged to Elvis and shit. And all, I mean, all this bullshit. Really? So, oh yeah, Elvis, <laughs> kiss my. He's like, <laughs> he's, he's, how do you prove that? Like, yeah. Disprove that? <laughs> well, that's what he said. He's like, yeah, this bike was actually. He's like, we did a title search, and this bike was actually registered to Elvis. And I'm like, I fucking doubt that. If it was registered to Elvis, there would be some, you know. Well, come, to, come to find out, I think what had happened is the dude had heard the story about, you know, I think it was on Jay Leno or one of the talk shows where some dude buys a bike, takes it home, takes the seat off, and there's like a to Elvis from Priscilla plaque on the bottom of the seat. That happened the uh, to to a dude in Michigan. The, the right, bike was okay. in Michigan. Well, 
Well, I think this dude had probably heard that story. So he thought after 12 or 14 Budweiser's, he's like, oh, yeah, Elvis owned this bike, you know. So, God, how does that I mean, happen? We, we did a title search on it, and, uh, and it wasn't Elvis Presley that ever owned it. You did so. a title search on it? I wouldn't even know how to do I, that I mean, in 2018. <laughs> uh, some, just, you got to know, know a few people here and there. That's so funny. So. I know uh, on my shovelhead, I know the, the people that have owned it. I have the original title from the uh, state of Michigan and the original owner's name. He was a machinist at Holbrook Racing Engines. His name was Herb. And then went from Herb to Chris Holbrook, who that's who I bought it from originally. He was the 1999 Pro Stock World Champion in uh, IHRA. And then oh, yeah. I bought that for my dad. And then my dad had it for three, four years, three years four years something like that in 03 i started riding and i told my dad i'm like you gotta get a, if we're gonna go riding we got you gotta have something besides that because that thing is not i i it didn't it didn't register with me it was just an old piece of shit you know what i mean and then i wrote it yeah and then i wrote it after my dad sold it and i said if i would have ever ridden that piece of shit <laughs> i would have never gotten on a harley again ever it was uh in, in it's a fucking bone stock 1972 electric glide with the non-returning uh throttle cable internal throttle cable from the factory god that thing is right. dog shit <laughs> <laughs> i think i could turn a freight train around faster than i could turn that fucking thing around <laughs> and now i own it <laughs> i went through all of that with the triumph to get that bike to have it yeah, I know you're glad the Triumph project's gone. So. Yeah, I mean, I talked to him. I talked to him a couple of days ago. He's he's got it. You know, he's got it idling like a sewing machine, and uh, you know, there's a learning curve on that bike. You got to ride that thing for a long time before you can tell somebody, "Oh yeah, just do this." I can tell you what I learned from it, and that's that I'm never going to fuck with one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so the learning curve was great for me. I mean. The I'm n- glad that you did it. <laughs> the so. n- nicest bike I've built in years, and, and no one, probably no one will ever see it. You know what I mean? Ah, uh, it was a nice bike. I don't think that's the nicest bike you built in years, though. <clears throat> I think you've done some. I think where you're at, you know, I think uh, the, the big wheel bagger thing is. Uh, I think different cities and different trends and different places uh, cause people to, or not call, not not make them, but. They allow you to get to start working on certain things, and you know, I mean, you've done. I know the big wheel baggers aren't your favorite, but you've done some some really nice big wheel baggers, and uh, you know, I'm not. I know that's not everybody's thing, but uh, right. I think some of that stuff. And then you're, hey man, when you're was cool. when you're doing this for a living, you you don't have a choice. It doesn't matter what you would ride. It doesn't matter. You know, that's a tough thing. That's a tough place to be uh, when when someone comes to you because they want you to build something for them. That's that's a that's a really that's a really cool thing i mean that absolutely there's a lot of stock but sometimes they come to you and want you to build something that you're not they uh they see something in you right obviously they say they see this vision in their head and they're like you know what i know this dude can do it and that's who they go to because i'm not there's plenty of people who build motorcycles around here and I'm not the only dude that does that. And they could take it to any one, any one of the guys. 
you know, and, and I, I have a funny way of looking at competition. It doesn't bother me. I think it's an important piece of any business that you're in. So I don't look at somebody getting a job across town on a bike that they're better suited for. I don't see that as competition. You know, uh, the Dallas Cowboys need, you know, the Houston Texans to some degree. Sure. So, uh, you sure. know, I'm, I'm kind of, that's the school of thought that I, that I orbit in when it comes to that kind of stuff. But I mean, you know, I, I think they have, I think the big wheel bagger thing has plateaued a little bit. I think that it's not as, um, I'm not seeing the big money, big wheel baggers being built right now. Like we did three, four years ago. I mean, hell, the second big wheel bagger I ever did was uh, Kyle's um, hustler bike, and that thing had a, a Mad Wheels thirty inch and a weld on neck, the whole deal. And the first that was the first front and rear era I'd ever done. I did a lot of firsts on that bike. You know, first thirty. It was a twenty. It was the first twenty fifteen road glide that I knew of that was completed. I think I got mine done probably two or three weeks before anybody else did. I mean, there was probably four or five right after I did it. I'm not saying anything special. I just happened to, Kyle happened to walk in my shop with 90 miles on his bike before somebody else did. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and the, and the big wheel bagger thing was such a, I mean, it's such a huge thing there for a while. People were spending uh, just tons of money. I mean, you can only mortgage your house so many times and take out your 401k and, you know, run up all the credit cards that you don't have a balance on already. I mean, before you can't do that anymore, and which there's people with gobs of money out there, but those bikes were, you know, they were uh, expensive. I mean, really expensive to build. I mean, so I, I think that plays a big part in seeing some of that trend fall off just because of, of how much they were to build. Well, yeah, I mean, you don't and, have to spend five grand on a wheel right now. Right. Well, there's, you know, there's, okay, I see both sides of the coin. There's lots of guys that are, that are saying, ah, big wheel baggers suck or big wheel bagger this. And then those guys are saying, you know, Dyna this or FXR this sucks or these chopper sucks or rigid, you know, everybody. But I think it takes all, all the different types of motorcycles to make this industry work. I mean, uh, you know, people can say what they want, That's... but a big, some, a big wheel bagger, you know, a 30 inch or 32 inch or 26 inch bike, somebody may see it. And it may it may not be their thing, but it may give them an idea an idea or pique their interest, and they can use a thought from that on their whatever project that they've got going. I mean, uh, you know. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> not only that, but you know, there's some. Those are all you say. You know, I've heard this the comment that big wheel baggers are are pointless or they're useless or they they don't handle or they don't. It's not what they're fucking built for. That there's a everything has a, it's a different purpose. You can't. I don't think you can compare a Dyna to. I think you can compare a Dyna to a Sportster, but I don't think you can compare a Sportster to a bagger or a Dyna to a big wheel bagger. You understand what I'm saying? You can compare a sure. road. You could re, easily compare a road glide to uh, a super glide. You can't compare a super glide to a road glide with a thirty on it or a street glide with a thirty on it. It's not the well, same kind of bicycle. Of it's is, not the same kind of motorcycle, rather. Right, but I think that's some of the problem is people people judging everything, and it seems sometimes in this industry that seems to be a problem is that everybody is judging everybody or whatever it is they're riding, and you know, so and so doesn't like this, and so and so doesn't like that. You know what? Who gives a fuck? I mean, if the guy building this bike wants to build a forty-inch front-wheel bike and he thinks it looks cool and he's put his blood and sweat and tears into it. You really shouldn't make a fuck what anybody else thinks other than, I mean, in this industry, 
people can say what they want. Everybody's trying to impress their peers. I mean, to a certain extent. That's what I mean, it's all about. That's how you got. That's how you got involved in it. Yeah, I mean, you don't you don't take your bike, you know, across the country to a show and hope nobody likes it. I mean, I hear guys say, "Well, if nobody likes it, I've done my job." Bullshit. That's mm-hmm. fucking stupid. Don't go to if the you show. Build a bike and, yeah, if you build a bike and take it somewhere and you're happy that everybody hates it, that's just some fucking. In my opinion, it's just some bullshit that they're saying. You know, I mean. There's plenty of guys I mean, that have bike shop shows. You know what I mean? What's that? There's plenty of guys that have decided not to do shows. I don't. Sure. I don't. I don't build a lot of bikes, but I don't put a lot of my stuff in shows. I have customers that do, but my best, what I consider to be the best work I've ever done, had would have won a lot of the shows it was in. I think it would have done really favorably in the audio competition in Daytona two years ago too, and. Uh, Kyle won't stay there long enough to for them. He won't. He doesn't want it to be judged because he he wants to be able to leave when he wants to leave. He doesn't want to. You know, he doesn't want his bike being well, tied up. And, and when I say judged, I don't only mean judged by by judges in a in a like a hey come bring your bike to the show. I, mean, I got you. Just just judged by people in general. I mean, if you ride your bike down the main street at Sturgis and people go, oh, look at that piece of shit. People are gonna. I mean, some people it might bother them. Some people it might not give a fuck. I mean, but I, but I think. Everybody puts a bike together, has a bike built, or builds a bike. You know, whatever, whatever it is they're doing, with hoping that somebody says, "Damn, that's fucking cool." Right. I, I mean, I, I think you know, or, or if they say, "Man, I, I wonder if that handles good." Or I mean, I don't know. I think with social media, there's so much negative bullshit. Sometimes it doesn't matter what you do to a bike or how well it's built. Or it, you can you can have half the world love it, half the world's gonna fucking hate it, and then you're gonna have these shit eaters. To just get on there and say something stupid just because they have access and the ability to fucking do it. Well, and it almost becomes you know? there almost becomes an ideology upon it. Like FXRs and Dynas are kind of in a in in one family group, but FXR people are definitely believe they're superior, and I think some Dyna people believe that the FXR people are superior too, and that's bullshit because, like I said, you can compare the two. But even Joe Kidd, who said on that podcast. You know, Joe Kidd's the the self proclaimed FXR king, and he can have it. I don't. I'm not denying that at all. I think the dude's a solid guy. He's he's actually a really really cool guy. But um, he said that when he went to ride with the FXR dudes the first time, he had a Dyna, and he was fucking smoking them on the freeway. Well, so so then a Dyna is a better bike for a high speed run just not not as good of a bike for a canyon carving deal or whatever or you know an, an urban uh a more urban area but where i live i don't i don't benefit from an fxr there's like two curvy roads in the county you know what i mean and right, they're not even right. that curvy you know there happened to be a gator uh, sitting in the in the way of the the paver and so they paved around the gator and that's the, that's the turn you get <laughs> yeah joe joe kid is a hell of a guy too he's i mean being a self-proclaimed fxr guy i mean there's not many people that i've met that know everything about fxrs like he does as far as and is willing you know, to share it too and, and is yeah, willing to share it freely he doesn't and, he's, he's not bulldogging nothing no and i mean he knows how many fxrds were made in 83 and how many fxrts were made in 84 and what color i mean he's just real knowledgeable i don't know fuck all I can take one apart and put it back together better than it was, but 
I, I could not tell where people are like, what's that paint code? I'm like, I don't fucking know. Orange. Purple. 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 <laughs> I mean, I, you know, it just does. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. But you know, but like, I mean, and I like my FXR, but it's like last year at Sturgis, I rode uh, your Dyna and I rode boosted Brad's Dyna. And uh, I mean, I enjoyed riding this Dyna out to Matt Begdold's place out and, where we were at Wyoming, that beautiful fucking place he has out there. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, but and, and minus like the left grip came off, but I mean, that was shit happens. So, right. Uh, my Dyna was. I had so much fun on my Dyna in Sturgis. No, sixteen. <laughs> no, last year we just scratching oh, the well. tires last summer when we were there. You just kept laughing yeah, at me at every before. light. That was the year before, though. That was in sixteen. No, because in yeah. sixteen I when rode I your road glide. Orange bike. No, when you t- when you took your orange bike the first time, I rode your road glide because I flew out to Abilene. This year that's I drove. Right. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So, yeah, okay. Yeah. But you still had your well, orange. You rode your orange bike all last year at Sturgis. Yeah, yeah, until the fucking ignition went out. But oh, that's right. I, I can't, I can't really talk any shit because uh, I did call uh, Thunderheart or whoever product that is I use. Uh, Thunderheart. Yeah, shout out Thunderheart. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hashtag, hashtag, Ricky Bobby. Hashtag. <laughs> <laughs> but I did call them, and they were like, "Well, uh, here's an RN number. Send it back." So. And uh, which I didn't you did not do. Did, no, it's still sitting in my shop out there with the same ignition. And, Damn. you know, I dumped it on the fucking trailer like a douchebag when I got back here. And I uh, had a couple guys with me help me strap it down. And oh, just, eat I, a I dick. First time, ever. No. first time to ever strap a bike I never strap. That's not my fault. That's not my fault. Yeah. I didn't. Let me put it right over this sharp edge of angle iron right here. Might as well just cut it with a knife from the get-go. The guys that I know pretty much strapped down their own motorcycles <laughs> so that this doesn't ever happen. Hey, I, well, that's true. Two statements. <laughs> it's still it's still sitting out there. It's, it's getting ready for a paint. New, Dude, new you paint need job. those. You <laughs> need to get a set of those alloy art polished up. God, yeah, shout out are, alloy art. God, those things yeah. are beautiful. I love stuff. They like are that. beautiful. Uh, they are, and and they, theirs are beautiful. And the dude, uh, the dude from the cut rate that builds such killer shit, he had. A set of really nice billet FXR struts uh, a year or two ago, and, and they're really nice too. So, and then Arlen had some nice aluminum struts, uh, but those are a while ago, the, aren't they? Aluminum. Yeah, but he still sells them. I mean, oh, I, I was going to put uh, put a set on my FXR, and I ended up using the stock ones. But the Alloy ones are beautiful. But everything that Alloy Art does is pretty cool, in my opinion. Yeah. Shout out. Alloy. Shout out Alloy Art. <laughs> Hashtag Alloy Art. <laughs> at, at, at Alloy Art. So, yeah. On Instagram. That's funny. Um, since you got on the subject of FXRs, that's where I was going to go with it anyways. Uh, and I was thinking about, I was at the dealer today. I had to pick up some parts, you know. And uh, I'm looking at these, the Sport Glide and the Fat Bob. No. What do they call the one with the square taillight or headlight rather? Rectangle headlight? Fat Bob. Okay. Fat Bob. And the, the Fat Boy actually looks like, a, a, if you if you just look at, a, at, it, at it objectively, it looks like a very futuristic Fat Boy. I mean, it's very apropos. I mean, it's definitely, you can, you know, if they made out Bro, a stop new. Stop using fucking big ass words with me and apropos and all that bullshit. Just talk English. It looks like it fits. Like it's it's like okay. a natural evolution of what that motorcycle should look like. If they came up with a Terminator three or whatever, and they needed a bike for Arnold to ride, that bike would fit the bill. I mean, it's I think it's I definitely got, right where it needs to be. 
I agree 100%. And then the Sport Glide, the one thing that thought I thought was weird is that the tech, it's like a miniature street glide fairing. Have you seen it? Yeah, and I I just why I went to the dealership have, here and looked at it. Why doesn't it have and, dual uh dual brakes in the front? It doesn't make any sense. I don't I don't I don't know. I I mean, I looked at it and uh, it's hard for me the fairing to me is makes no sense because I I mean some fairings are for looks. Some some actually do, you know, serve a purpose. That one to me doesn't serve any fucking purpose. <laughs> and a lot of people think that's a cool bike. I for one do not. The wheels they put those wheels on that bike solely so that people would purchase other fucking wheels <laughs> because the wheels are so terrible. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that dude. Like, here's my here's my here's my take on it. This is my take on it, and this is just gonna like if. If you get mad about this, not you, but if anybody gets mad about this, kiss my ass because th- this this isn't how I feel about it. This is just how I think people feel about it. But if you go back and can kind of go into the annals of different model releases, you know, in our lifetime of Harley's, dude, the FXR people fucking destroyed it in the media. People destroyed. They said it was a Japanese-looking bike. And if you think about the bikes that came out at the same time as the FXR, you had that Kawasaki with that Vetter thing. You had the the Purple Rain bike. You know that Goldwing with the weird fairing on it yeah. and shit. I mean, and the FXR had the fairing. And people people didn't know where to shit or go straight on that one. I don't think when it very first came out. Yeah, I've yeah, heard. Dude, like I've heard that 80, was, 82. What was it, 83? Yeah, 82. 82 or 83? Yeah. Uh, well, I couldn't tell you anything about that because in 82... I no, no, I'm not saying that I you was, would remember. I'm saying I've, like, looked up stuff in the past. I figured maybe you had, you had heard that as well, that, that it was not very well received unilaterally. Like, everybody didn't was just like, holy shit, this is badass. So what I'm saying is all these new models coming out, we're all like, oh, that's dog shit. That's this. That's whatever, you know, or I don't like this or I don't like that. They don't make sense. Dude, everything that that I've heard from people who ride them is they're fantastic. No, I, I, when I first came out and I was just – I didn't like it at first. I mean I was I was very hesitant to be like, oh, that's cool. I just, <laughs> you know, I, 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 did, I went to the dealership and looked them over and, you know, I, I just – it was hard for me to get behind it. But I was stuck kind of in a, in a mindset and then finally I got to looking at a few things and I, I started looking at – what you could do to one and heard about how well they rode and, and it's the motor and, you know, uh, so, I mean, it's really piqued my interest. I would love to do one. Uh, and I, I probably will. It's just, you know, I would like to see a few of the bugs get worked out before I delve into spending a bunch of money on one. But I, I think that, I think there's some potential there. I mean, I've seen a couple of really, really nice bikes built using that platform. I just, I think when the Evo first came out, nobody liked the Evo. And then when the Twin Cam came out, nobody liked the Twin Cam. You know, now the M8's out. Nobody likes the fucking M8. And Tell you what, I, I like that one that that company uh, that Jeff G. Holt is um, dealing with right now. I like that. <laughs> like the shit out of that one. That's oh, Leading Edge? Oh, my. Take my yeah. money. Oh, my <laughs> God. Egg. Those cylinders, yeah. dude. That thing looks like, to me, that looks like a like a pro stock type motor dude i just that thing i was that's beautiful i mean and, and 151 fucking cubic inches i mean i've been on a 151 cubic inch motor when r&r was building their 151 evos and 
I mean, you know, I know a lot of guys out there have gone way faster and ride harder and, you know, do all sorts of shit. But for me, the 151 from R and R in a straight line was a fucking rocket ship. So, yeah. I mean, I, I can't imagine. I mean, but uh, um, we'll see how well it holds up. I mean, I mean, and he's putting it. He, he's doing that M8 and a FXR chassis, and they've done a ton of work to it. And there's going to be a 151 inch motor in it. That thing should be a rocket ship. I mean, he's he's uh He's going to have something there. Yeah, that thing is, I, uh, yeah, like I said, that thing's, that thing's bizarre, you know? I mean, the, getting back to what I was saying before about um, the FXR deal, but I think people, I think it just looks odd to them. I just think it looks foreign to them. So they're gun shy. And then there's all, that old wives' tale about, don't get the first year of anything, you know? You get the first year, you're getting all the problems. Like, eh, not not always. Look at the 06 Dyna. That wasn't a bad launch. I mean, really. No. Well, and, and the thing about the first year stuff is luckily you're in an industry that has so many talented people that will take that first year and will go in and, you know, I think SNS has made several parts and Leading Edge and several companies are, are diving into it and embracing it and making uh, – a bunch of improvements uh, that need to be made uh, on that bike and are, are going to fix a lot of the problems that maybe they're having. I mean, and, and thank, thank goodness that we have the industry we have to go in and do that because you know as well as I do that, you know. Uh, if there wasn't an aftermarket for Harley-Davidson engine compo- components, a Harley wouldn't be any different in the, in the used marketplace in the far as value and ability to repair than any other than any other shitty fucking Japanese motorcycle. I don't well, mean, I, I and don't I don't mean that all Japanese. That's sometimes I forget, dude. It's it's been a long time since I've done this, and we say a lot of stuff in conversation between the two of us that probably shouldn't be made public. But I'm not saying I, I'm saying a shitty Japanese motorcycle. Like go find a motorcycle with more than twenty thousand miles. Like go find me a Japanese motorcycle with more than twenty thousand miles on it that isn't a Goldwing. Or that class of bike, you know, like a mid-level cruiser, and I'll eat my hat. They're fucking garbage by the time they're there. And so, but there's no aftermarket where there is an aftermarket for Harley. So the aftermarket props up idiosyncratic failures from that are engineered into the bike. I mean, look at you can get a uh, you can get a cam plate from fueling. You can get two different cam plates from fueling. You get one from SNS. There's Screaming Eagle. Even Harley. Harley has a cottage industry built around their fucked up unfinished motorcycles they sell out of the gate. And right there, Harley will never sponsor this podcast. <laughs> well, and that's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. That without the aftermarket, the Harley the Harley Davidson industry that we know now would not exist. People would, they would just be, I think they would be throwaways just like everything else. I mean, I, without I mean. The, the aftermarket, the aftermarket industry makes this industry what it is, in my opinion. If there wasn't the aftermarket industry, we would all just be right. I mean, I, if without the aftermarket industry, I wouldn't be buying a Harley. Hell, I'd buy something else. I, I mean, I, I wouldn't want to be working on it with a bunch of, I mean, buy something that's going to break and then have to go to Harley and just buy more shit that's going to break. That's why I don't understand I mean, the the love affair that people have with um, the Victory motorcycles, which I've always said is a is a decent motorcycle. I you know aesthetically they're not my favorite, 
they have some decent looking models and when people modify them you know just like people modify harleys to make them look better you can make it look you know much nicer as long as you don't try to make it look like a harley then when you try to make something that's not a harley look like a harley it looks like clown shoes but if you do a victory properly you've got a good motorcycle but i don't understand the love affair now there's not gonna be the aftermarket's never gonna be what the aftermarket is for harleys i mean it's like having a fucking nash rambler you know what I mean? Or an AMC, like I'm really into AMC javelins. So, you know, I'm going around and I'm buying up every 401 that I can find in the junkyard and every turbo 400 that has a AMC bell housing on it. You know what I mean? I think what you're going to see is a lot of the victory guys moving over to the Indian market. I was thinking and, about and that today too. And I don't see where the, I don't see where the, there's not a model that they fit on. Why do they got to make Indians look like, you understand what I'm saying? Why can't they be? Why can't they be contemporary? Why can't you have? I mean, Harley's got a heritage model, so why not have a heritage model, heritage style model of an Indian? But how about an, an, a model that doesn't look like a goddamn well, fire I, I mean, engine? I think you're going to see. I think you're going to see some of that in the future. But I think how how we look at things and how those big corporate companies look at things are they they are looking at it from we have to make a fucking profit. And they're looking that's, at it from a thousand feet away. First, well, and, and that's what they're looking at first and foremost is we're going to have to put a motorcycle out and that people like, and then we can make a profit. And I think a lot of your Indian guys, that your, your tried and true Indian guys, were looking for that big swoopy fender original Indian look. I mean, yeah, I, so I they're going to sell bikes to baby boomers. That. You and I are not ever going to buy that bike right. that looks like that. That's just not our, the aesthetics that we're no, into. But, but that's why they came out with the Scout. And I think the Scout was kind of their version of a cross, and but between the soft tail and the, I think they Dyna went too small with the it. Sportster. No, yeah, you're probably right, but I mean, I, there's a lot of guys that have ridden the Scout and talked about it being a, a really cool bike to ride. Now, I, I've, I've not been on one, but uh, Brian at TPJ Customs in Sturgis a couple of years ago had, uh, I believe it was a Scout they had there that had put some really. Uh, cool parts on and done some things. It was a cool bike. I mean, it was, uh, you know, and I thought there may be some takeoff on that, but Bill Dodge built a the, really badass one too. He did. And matter of fact, I think he built that for a, a Indian dealership in Texas in San Antonio, Texas, I believe it was at, and that was um, a real, it was at the party this year. Yeah. Well, not, not all of us get to go to the fucking party, bro. So uh, <laughs> you just, you got to get your ass to Daytona. Oh man, I'm trying. I'm trying. I mean, I just I know. There's so much there's so much I want to do that I don't get to do, but you know, I mean I'm I'm bummed that I'm missing Sturgis this year and you know, but I'm gonna try to do the the Tennessee motorcycle revival. Shout out Tennessee Motorcycle Revival. Uh, <laughs> shout out Buckshaw. <laughs> shout out Carrie Rep. Uh, no, Carrie, you know right, I love you. Carrie's cool. Buck's cool. And Carrie is cool. So I'm I'm actually hoping that we can you know Brad's going uh, I'm hoping you can make it I'm gonna try to make it uh, you know I'm doing Sturgis again next year though I mean I'm missing it this year but that's that's I don't know I enjoy Sturgis I enjoy Sturgis yeah that's, I'm you know, I'm I'm not happy that I'm not gonna be this year but to be honest with you if it doesn't it's not like a I don't know this is a weird year I don't feel like this is I feel like this is the year if you're gonna miss it you might as well miss it this year. See, and I don't know. I, I mean, I feel like I'm going to miss something. I mean, I feel like there's going to be a lot of really cool shit there with, you know, uh, and, and, and I tell you, the, the Lictor show every year is just, 
that dude, he just does it right. You know, and maybe it's all the years of the photography, but the, the, the Lictor show every year, man, it's just, it's so cool to me. Just well, yeah, walking but it's around. an honor to be, it's an honor to be asked to do that. That's a kind of an important Absol- deal. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, if, if somebody came to me and said, Hey, you know what, if you could do one thing, you know, what do you think it would be? And I think being invited to build something in the Lictor show is, that's gotta be up there with, you know, it in is. my opinion. But I'm then like, when you look at a guy like Christian Newman, I'm like, what the fuck am I going to do? I mean, I can, <laughs> you know. Oh, yeah. Some of the shit, you know. But you have both ends of the spectrum, though. You have guys in there that put shit together, and you're like, how the fuck did they do that? Well, I mean, you know. And then you have guys that are putting stuff together that are that are more simplistic backyard garage guys that are putting together stuff that really looks like amazing an fxr or looks like a chopper or yeah you know it, not everything has to look like nasa designed it and put it together i mean you know and you I, you and i've talked about that before i think sometimes when people build a an fxr or and they go so far outside the fucking box <laughs> I, I i was that, thinking about that today too. it's like well that's i'm like that's, look at this fxr i'm like that's not a fucking fxr that's literally something that, i wrote like i i did i wrote some shit down before i got on the phone with you to to discuss and that was what about all the weird fxrs the, the full fence remember the people that's when i said earlier people didn't know where the shitter goes straight when the fxr came out because here was a short wheelbase bike that had a big motor in it. It was like a, a a muscle sportster, right? But then they put fucking they offered it with bags and a trunk and a in a in a fairing. You know what I mean? It was for all intents and purposes it was pretty clunky looking when it's all put yeah. together brand new with a tall windshield on. You understand what I'm saying? The squishy grips, the whole deal. Well, but that's what that's what I'm saying though, is, is like the FXR I'm not just saying FXR, I'm talking FXR, Dyna, Softail bag or whatever i mean well i'm talking you know, specifically before the industry had a had the huge you know renaissance so you had you know i got you you had a, look at how much smaller a custom chrome catalog was in like 1989 1990 than what it was in uh 1999 or 2000 i've got a four inch thick catalog now it's four parts in stock <laughs> no i will tell you custom chrome shout out to custom chrome uh their <laughs> <laughs> their catalog <laughs> their catalog no is about can air this. no i'm gonna air it yeah uh <laughs> dude we are gonna be clowned on hard on this but whatever the custom chrome catalog is now only about an inch to inch and a half thick i think it's dude, awesome. back when i was in business full-time yeah, I remember, uh, dude. I had one giant. Chrome? Yeah, yeah but they were the shit. That, that's who I use. That's who I used every single day. Everybody I placed did. an order with Custom Chrome all the time, and then as things progressed, and, and, and drag, I use drag a lot too. Drag, drag's got their shit together. But you know, as time went on, and I mean, I, you'd call Custom Chrome, and you'd be like, you'd give them a part list of twenty things, and they'd be like, Yeah, we got one of those in stock. I'm yeah. Like, okay, I'll, I'll just need one of each. No, no, like we've got one of your twenty items. I'm like, what the fuck? You just quit calling, you know. But dude, we're getting a little you should hear. But no, it's funny you said that. But um, the, the FXR thing that I was talking about, and the Dyna thing that I was talking about, is when when there's an FXR show or a Dyna <clears> show or something to that effect, and then you go look and you see a bike that, well, I'm like, that's an FXR, and they're like, yeah, I use the neck. 
<laughs> well, I'm like, oh, okay. But it doesn't look like an FXR or it doesn't look like a Dyna. So for me, some of that stuff sometimes gets, you know, I mean, not, not, and when I'm talking about the liquor show, what I was saying is that you've got guys that do stuff that is so outside my realm of, of what I can do. And then you have guys that are doing stuff that uh, are just doing really solid, you know, whether it be an FXR, a diner, a chopper, they're just building a, sim- a, a really simple bike that they've paid so much attention to detail to. And they've, uh, but, but it still looks like what it's supposed to be. I guess for me, when you get, you know, they're like, oh, this is a, an 84 shovel head, but it looks like a, a 2050, uh, <laughs> space bike you know that's where i get mixed up i'm and i'm not taking anything away from some of those guys because some of the shit they do is i mean i think last year it was uh at the lictor show there was a blue bike it was kind of a like an enduro type bike maybe uh fred codlin did it or i forget who did that blue bike but a bunch of people were giving it so much hate throwing shade at it it's that was outside of my realm but to me it was a really fucking cool bike but you know i think it's shitty that anybody that would be in that room everybody that's in that fucking room has one thing in common they either have a been on one of those risers of those platforms or b they want to be on one of those platforms because that's supposed to be an industry party and i think it's bullshit if anybody goes in there and throws shade because you either have already been there and you're an asshole for throwing shade or you're jealous so you're being an asshole and you're throwing shade yeah end of fucking story yeah, well, and and you know, I hear people grumbling about, well, why didn't I get asked, or why didn't this dude get asked, or you know, how do they pick who gets? Who fucking knows how they pick the guys? What what should be important is that the guys that are getting picked can go out there and bust their ass to do it and put something on that platform, and we all get a chance to go look at that and and admire or learn or you know even even a little bit of critique or criticism. It goes a okay. long way. Yeah, say, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I'm talking about throwing like, legitimate shade. It's, it's, yeah, but that's what pisses me off is when you hear people throw shade about, well, I wouldn't have done it that way. Well, then make a fuck how you would have done it. You're not there. <laughs> I mean, I, I want to be on that platform. I'd love to be. I mean, fuck, I'd love for fucking Michael Lick to call me and go, hey, uh, I want you to build a bike for Sturgis. I'm gonna, we're doing this so-and-so we're show. Doing an orange, we're doing I, an orange bike show. We want to know if you'll build a, an orange bike for us. Yeah, you motherfucker. <laughs> I, take, I take a lot of heat over my orange. but I think it's great. Uh, I, just, I just, yeah, yeah. see you motherfucker. Uh, I, people were throwing all kinds of fucking Tony the Tiger shit at me when that bike came out. But yeah, you, gotta, but you didn't get much hate on that bike, and you're still getting some love on that bike. You get a lot of love on that white bike. I love that white bike. You need to. Yeah, I mean, I think it's. I think it's had some good feedback. I mean, I, you know, like I say, if I said I didn't want people to like them, I'd be fucking lying. I mean, I, I wanted people to like that orange bike. I mean, talking about Joe Kidd. I mean, when when I was putting that bike together and Joe saw it, he's like, dude, he's like, you're 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 taking home that you're winning the FXR show. I was like, dude, there's no way in the game. He's like, no, you you're gonna win it. I got no doubt. And I'm like, you know, but there's. Was that like through Insta or something? He was telling you that? Yeah, just just yeah, just through Instagram and, and Facebook putting you know, putting in the FXR pages and putting it on Instagram. I mean, he was giving me a lot of love and after the show he's like, I told you. You know, and me well, I, for me I told you the to, same thing as soon death. as I got in that room with it. When I when I landed we when we landed when I got in on that airplane and we, we went over to the shop on Treadaway and I saw that bike, I was like, This fucking bike's gonna win. And I had never been to it, but I I know enough. Uh, I know enough of, of what it what I think it takes to to have something that was 
damn near flawless, and that bike was damn near flawless. Well, I wish I had that kind of confidence. I just, I wish I had the ability to look and see. I mean, I think I have the ability to put something together that's fairly nice, and uh, you know, but to have other people like it, and for me to go, you know, to have a goal to go try to. I mean, and, and maybe that's not a great goal to have. Is hey, I want to go win the FXR show. There's a lot more that plays into that because. I started building the bike. My dad got sick. My dad passed away. And I think a lot of people have heard the story, but you know, my dad was like, Hey, you need to finish that bike. And then I kind of stopped. And then my brother pushed me really hard to finish it. And, you know, you pushed me hard to finish it. And, you know, I changed it up so many times that I've got enough to build probably two other FXRs. And I think the finished product, we know, built you that thing on, all these on paper three or four times, I think. Yeah. Well, and you go and you let people look at it, you know, I mean, you, you end up winning it, it feels fucking amazing, you know, and then, uh, to take it out to Vegas, you know, Jeff Holt invited me out to Vegas and I go out Shout there out to and, Jeff G. Holt. Be yeah. What up? Be twin visionary. <laughs> uh, that, that you go out there and then you get voted on by the guys that are in the artistry and iron show in Vegas, which to me is, it's kind of like the liquor show, the guys in there. I'm like, what the fuck? These guys are doing incredible shit. You know, yeah. I'm like, you can't go in there and knock anything. I mean, you, you can't, I mean, uh, and then, you know, to have that happen all in the same year for me, was, was pretty cool. I mean, it well, was, you didn't, it was, you didn't let you know, a single detail on that bike go. There wasn't a single thing that you compromised on. There wasn't a single thing that you, um, not that anybody could ever know or see, there wasn't a single thing that you said, no, nah, I'm, I'm just, yeah, that's good enough. I mean, it was nothing about that bike was that way, you know, just like the white bike you just did same thing. I mean, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. But you, yeah, got that thing, I mean, I have, you got that thing nailed. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, I do. I mean, I, I, I wish I was taking Sturgis this year. I mean, you know, my thing with my FXR is there, there's probably nicer bikes built, but I tried to keep my FXR as FXR as I could, if that makes any sense. I, no, I, I know. I, I think that's, you know, that was what the – I thought that there, there was a couple things that I saw that were I thought were going to be, um, you know, point deductions if you will i mean not that anybody uses a point system when they're judging at that show because it's like you know it's not that show is not actually judged by a a panel of judges is it no 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 it's it's it's, from my understanding is it's uh the people that show up to watch to to look at the fxr's judge which which i think is really cool i mean you know the the year before uh when bruce and brad won people's choice and then uh frankie vidal at dirty's customs won first place for his the you know the uh throttle by wire what's the difference what's the difference between people's choice and first place uh you know i I think there's a there's a first second third place and uh, there's a people's choice award so look at honorable i don't know i I don't know how they do that i mean i I don't really don't i never really asked but uh i think just being recognized in that crowd because fxr guys man they're They're they don't they don't fuck around no 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 They'll call a motherfucker out in a minute and tell him his, you know, I mean, they'll. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. I had somebody, I was talking with somebody, I won't say who they were, but that, I don't even know if they'll listen to this, but uh, they they were there with their FXR and um, I was talking to them about yours and I said, yeah, you know, it's put the, the twin cams in there with uh, out having to cut the frame because he went with the, this kind of pan, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, he goes, yeah, he goes, I, you know, I'm just more of a purist. I, uh, I just don't think that a twin cam should be in an FXR. And then he got on his FXR and rode away with his GSXR front end on it. I thought, what? 
in the fuck are you talking about, dude? Like seriously, yeah, well, like you you're gonna pull, saying, you're gonna man. you're gonna get all uppity on me over your polished SNS 124, but then right away with your dual radial mounted calipers on your GSXR front end that was modified to fit in there. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's that's. I mean, there's a lot of shade thrown in this industry, but there's also I hate on the that, other side man. of that. I do too. I like throwing shade at people that like I like you. <laughs> I love fucking with you, but I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do it to somebody I, I, I don't know. I throw shade on myself, so fuck. It doesn't bother me, you know. But I just. Right. I wish that I wish you know in this industry, and I know it's created. It was created well before probably I got into this business. People knocking people's parts and people pinching people's parts, and it wasn't as easy as know, it is now. And I'll tell you that. I know, but here's the thing. To a certain extent, I, I mean, to a certain extent, everything has been done. Everything. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I mean, I think the craziest shit out there recently that I've seen that I thought was just that I thought was really fucking cool was the dude from Ballistic Cycles. Dual hubless, crazy fucking I mean, he did a turbo hubless front wheel, twenty six inch bike, and then I know it was all he just raw. Did a dual hubless bike, <clears throat> yeah, it's fucking phenomenal. But but that's been, I mean, Billy did a hubless bike, and the the dude, I forget the guy from maybe Amen, Amen, Chas. Yeah, that was a hubless bike. We wasn't that a weird, weird biker build off? They purposely, dude. They had they had, they were just they were that was when they jumped the shark. I think they ruined that franchise. By doing that, I think. I think that, that I honestly think that could be brought back to life if done correctly. I really do. Have you watched the new OCC? <laughs> uh, you know what? I haven't. I haven't watched. I, haven't I watched. watched uh, I watched three quarters of an episode. It was. I'm not saying it was great and none of that. I'm just saying there's a different vibe, and it's it's not. It's still corny, but you know it's TV. But I mean, it's there's not there's not as much. Um, I don't know. It's different. It's not like it used to be. Now, and my take on that is you get a lot, a lot of guys that were clowning OCC and clowning, you know, anybody that was on TV doing motorcycle stuff and they sell out and this and that. Dude, I don't give a fuck who's out there building bikes right now. If someone comes knocking on their door, calls them, is like, hey, we're going to do a TV show and we're going to make it fucking goofy, but you're going to be on TV and we're going to pay you fucking umpteen thousand dollars a month to do it. Are you in? People aren't going to go be like, nah, fuck that, dude. I don't want to make any money doing. This. I think there's nah. some people that wouldn't you know? do it. I think there's some people that wouldn't do it. I know. Yeah, a couple, but, I know well, a couple people that as, wouldn't as do a, it as a whole. Well, you know a couple of people that wouldn't do it, but you know them. It's hard to say. You know what I mean? Ooh, name one. Um. Well, I don't know if they want to be. I don't. I, I don't want to spoil somebody's. You know, fucking private. I, I'm. I'm making a supposition. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I, I think that's. I don't think I should tell. I don't think I should say it on the air. I mean, okay, I, well, I know well, that no I, one I, listens to my fucking podcast, anyways, because it hasn't been out in five years. I don't know how many people will listen to this one. Um, why, why? Why am I on this one then? Maybe do I need to call Jason get get on his podcast? <laughs> Eat a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Jace Hudson and Fast Life Garage Podcast. Fast Life um, Garage, so. <laughs> dude, th- I love that podcast. I'm not gonna lie, I'm hooked. No, he's you know he's doing a great job, man. He's, he really dude, is. His, uh, uh, I mean, he's getting. I'll tell you what, how I can tell he's getting more confident, and this is good. Uh, because he, he's making him into a better interviewer. His his he's got thirty freaking episodes out. I mean, dude, he's killing. Yeah, 
Um, he must have lost his phone and lost my number or something. I don't know what the fuck happened. <laughs> You're probably too much of a pain in the ass. Um, but anyway, uh, no, he his his skills are getting like much better. The interviewing stuff and controlling the ebb and flow of the conversation and keeping people engaged and stuff. And where I can tell that he's really getting confident is he's been doing it a, a couple of times uh, without his brother, and that means that he's able to produce his own show. You know what I mean? Because you've got to be able to set the equipment up, set the mic levels and stuff. Especially his is a little bit – it's slightly different than mine because you're actually sitting across from somebody. So he's got a, a little bit – he's at a disadvantage because he's actually got to have somebody sitting in front of him. But he's in a little bit of an advantage because he can control the way their voice sounds a little bit better. You know, where you, yeah, you're filtering through, through an iPhone. I haven't listened to every podcast he's done, but I listened to the Joe Kidd and uh, the uh, – John Jessup. I've listened to the the Boosted Brad. I listened to. Uh, I think I've listened to just about every single one of them. The only one I haven't is this new one. one. He's got this uh, with his travel show deal. But I mean, he's being very creative. He's he's not he's not doing it one dimensionally. He's already gone out and looked for um, provocative guests and stuff. People that are gonna maybe not say shit just to say it, but that are maybe a little bit you know. Um, edgier stories to tell he's he's definitely he's using a, a proven model i mean he, he you can tell he's yeah. he's putting a lot of work in uh the, the tpj I, I did the tpj one too and that was good so uh and but i you know i didn't know much about podcasts i really wasn't into podcasts until uh i met you actually and you started talking about your hell on wheels podcast and uh you know listening to a couple of those and and then listening to a couple of his and i've listened to a couple other podcasts you know danny uh, Dixon Clothing's podcast or Dan Dreyer, the the one eighty in a dream podcast are yeah. pretty cool too. I mean, yeah, you know, uh, and, and they're not they're not overly long. Um, but even his his you know he's got a production. I don't know what the I don't I don't know anything more than anybody who's listened to all of his podcasts knows. But I do know that he's right. got a bit of a, of a production studio type situation that I don't have today, but I'm hoping to have in the next sixty to ninety days. Uh, we're yeah, you know, the, the thing you've got to shot. do though is you, you've got to get out there and fucking, you know, I mean, you know, a lot of industry guys, you, you're very smart within the industry. You know, a lot of things about motorcycles, you know, a lot of people, I mean, everywhere we go, whether it be Sturgis or, or, or wherever, you know, you're always, you, you know, everybody and, you know, you can talk the industry with everybody. And, you know, I think it's just reaching out to people and going, Hey, I want to, I want to talk to this guy, or this guy. I mean, you know, I, I saw, uh, a Facebook live uh, interview with uh, Kevin Sockwell did Aaron Green. You know, I mean, you, you've got some ties with Aaron, and, you know, I, I think a guy like that on a podcast is, uh, I think Aaron's incredibly talented, and, you know, it'd be great to have on your show. I mean, you, you, you have a relationship with Aaron and, and so many other guys out there that, you know, I, I think people would love to, to listen to their story and, and know what they're about, you know? I mean, yeah, I think it's just putting yourself out there. It's funny because uh, if you look at the people, um, not comparing this to anything else, but if you, there's not a shit ton of motorcycle podcasts out there. I mean, there's, there, when I did, when I started mine in 2012, there wasn't any. And then there was a couple that kind of fell off and they didn't, they didn't, for whatever reason, they didn't keep, they didn't stay on iTunes. And then now there's, there's several, you know, um, Chris Callen and Ken Conti, um, Chris Callen's the, um, executive editor of um cycle source magazine ken conti owns uh, rise above 
I believe is Rise Above Media, where he represents you know clients and, and stuff uh, in this kind of a venue, the motorcycle industry in particular. Um, they do a podcast that's that's pretty good. Um, you know, I mean, it's it, they have a lot of production value, and you know they're doing it remote, just like we're doing it. Everything they do is remote, so. You know, that was my biggest thing, why I didn't do this for the longest time, was because of the remote thing. And I, you're right, I, I got a short list of people that I've already talked to that want to be on here, that um, that definitely are willing to. I was bummed because I reached out to um, uh, Dan Dreher, Danny Dixon, to do this back in December, and he, he agreed to it, and then I sat on my fucking ass, and then he ended up, I mean, I didn't know that he had already planned on doing that and had, you know... He was well on his way. I, I would have liked to have been able to do that. I definitely want to get Jeff on here, definitely. And he's he's already said he would do it too. So it's yeah, just Paul. A, yeah, it's just a matter of asking people yeah. and getting them to do yeah, it. Yeah, and I think you got you got to do that and reach out to them. I mean, I think what Jeff Holt's doing with B two and Visionary is fucking great, man. I, I just I, I'm I'm I think he's doing it right and he's knowledgeable and he's going to be the know. he is going to be the uh, the. He, he's he's definitely he's an outlier and he's gonna you know the death of the print media is is definitely i think on we're on the cusp of it you know there's some big magazines that'll still be around because people do still want something tangible but they're going to end up being mostly advertiser driven not uh not reader driven right well i mean i think jeff is uh what he's doing is I mean, I don't. I, I really can't put it into words, but he's he is going to be the Pisano publishing of the, the next yeah. twenty years. I yeah. mean, he just says. I, well, I think so. And I, and, and I know a lot of people, and I, I mean, I'll be the first one to say that a lot of people were throwing throwing stones at Jeff and won their bike in the magazines, and you know, just getting frustrated with things that were going on. I mean, I, I got frustrated with him. You know, wasn't I think it was a problem that was out of his hands. But you know, like he said, he's like when you get when you get so many people every day just inboxing the shit out of you inboxing you like crazy that you, you know, you can't please everybody. You can't make everybody happy. And you know, it, you, you, you try to, to do, you know, you try to do the right thing and it backfires on you. And, you know, I mean, uh, I like Jeff and I mean, Jeff was really fair to me. I mean, I, I got frustrated over some stuff and, and probably said some shit I, I shouldn't have, but I tried to say it to Jeff, not, you know, I, I never got on a, a social network and, and bashed him. I just don't think that's the place to do it. I mean, but, but I think what he's doing with V2 and Visionary is really cool. And I think he's going to, to, I mean, for lack of a better term, I think he's going to change the game a little bit with it. I mean, he's going to uh, change the game more, more than a little bit. The game's already been changed. Yeah. Just Jeff is going to, Jeff's going to be the first, first, he's, he's going to be a trailblazer on this. It's just, Absolutely, it's just but it, I, happen. I think it's I think it's going to be hard for anybody to follow. I think you know he came up with an idea, and he's and he's not running with it. He's just running fucking people over with it. But I don't. So I, I don't think you can. Well, it's going to be hard for anybody to do it better. I mean, well, yeah, because you know? even if you're better, even if you're more talented, or have more trajectory, or you're faster, or you're richer, or whatever, he's already out of the starting blocks. So he's the one that's determined. He's he's going to be the. Um, archetype for how the motorcycle industry handles digital media he'll be he'll be the next um uh you know like i said like the next easy rider how how pivotal still to this day that's one of the things that that uh, eludes me 
is I would really like to have a bike that I build be I don't want to be on the I don't have to be on the cover and none of that bullshit. I just want to be in an Easy Rider magazine. I don't want, and I don't I don't want to buy my way in. I don't want to whatever. I don't there's no way to do that, but I'm saying I I want to earn it. I want somebody to come up to me and go, "Hey, this thing's really nice. Can we put this in the magazine? I want it to be Easy Rider because I've been in Cycle Source, I've been in the horse and, you know, I'm going to do a whole um, a whole thing eventually here about the horse because that's a magazine that's near and dear to my career. I mean, I wouldn't have a career, I don't think, if not for the horse. It would be very different. That's for damn sure. It, right. That place has opened <clears> – <throat> that opportunity opened up so many more friendships, so many more opportunities um, from a posterity position. You know, there's there's a lot of people that have had as good or better career opportunities than I've had in this industry. And um, there's a lot of people who haven't. And I attribute that directly to my relationship with the horse. Shout out to the horse magazine. The horse backstreet choppers. But those guys um, over there really, 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 really helped me um, springboard myself. You know, they were very supportive of everything I did, and I appreciated that. I appreciate it to this day. And they're getting some they're getting some shade thrown at them right now, but they're trying to they're trying to not rebrand but re recenter, refocus their brand and um they've got I think all all print media is having to do that though. Tell you what, the horse is still a pretty thick magazine. There's still a lot of content there, you know. There's still a lot of stuff going on. And, and you know what? Everybody Everything has to have a, a time of ebb and a flow, and this is just one of those times where it's it's receding a bit. Right, absolutely. You know, I've been a uh, I've been a subscriber to Carcraft Magazine for over ten years, and I'm telling you, over ten years ago when uh, when I had a Carcraft Magazine subscription, I bet you it's been longer than that. Actually, now that I think about it, but <coughs> at any rate, um, they were thick. There was lots of stuff in them. I got Muscle Mustang and Fast Forward. Uh, magazines in the garage that are you know three eighths of, of an inch thick every month, and now when I get a Carcraft magazine, it's it's the size of the Harbor Freight Flyer, damn near. And half the Carcraft magazine is the Harbor Freight Flyer inside of it. So you understand, it's almost like a pamphlet. It's like one of those local magazines. I mean, I still love it. Don't get me wrong, but there's not a lot of content there, and that's that's reader driven. I mean, I pay for a subscription, you know. Uh- I will. I, I will say that I, I hate the fact that. I mean, because I do love print media. I still love to read magazines and and books and and I mean, you can read on your phone, but I don't know. I, I, I hate the fact that print media is going away. I mean, I know it's going to or it's going to change. I mean, I know there's magazines that have gone from you know uh, ten, eleven, twelve annual copies to uh, or ten, ten, eleven, twelve copies a year to down to half that a year, four copies a year, you know? Right. And I hate that. Cause I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sound stupid, but I mean, I enjoy getting those magazines in the mail and, you know, can't, well, I'm like, damn, I can't wait to get to the shitter and flip through this. Um, <laughs> I'm very I mean, nostalgic about my magazines. That's one of the things that I've, I still have from, I have every hot rod magazine I've already, I've ever bought all going all the way back to junior high school. You know what I mean? I just, and I've got them all organized in upright folders and some of them are in, you know, protective ziploc bags and you know some i never took the posters out of them most of those you know what i mean i'll let the posters in them and the subscription cards and you know that just i I look them as resource you know i like to look when i was in the hot rods and street racing and stuff i'd like to look 
you know, how fast were cars going 15 years ago? You know, no, nowhere near as fast as we were going, you know, or if they were, they were, they were race, they're real race cars, not street cars. Right. So the same thing's happening yeah. with this. And I just think that Jeff Holt's going to, I really think he's going to be the archetype for where this goes. He's, I mean, he's smart enough to know that he needs what he calls an evergreen product, which is something that's going to be a timeless magazine. So it goes back to what we were just talking about with old hot rod magazines or your dad's old easy rider magazines or an old iron horse magazine or hell. I mean, even a horseback street chopper from, you know, almost 20 years ago. Uh, right. There's, that's an, there's a, that, that's something tangible. That's an evergreen product, you know? Um, it's always right. going to be relevant basically, but he's also talking about, it's not going to be bike feature centric, but he's still going to have some bike features. Well, it's a lot easier, less expensive, and you can put more content on. I mean, if he gets inundated with bike features, it's very likely that there'll be real features done on, you know, or a lot of features done on real bikes. And it isn't necessarily somebody who does it for a living, you know? product yeah, stuff. Absolutely. So, I'm looking forward to it and I think he, you know, he's going to he's going to probably make some some errors, but I think that the uh that's the direction that everything's going anyways whether we like it or not. You know, we all walk around with these devices in our hands. So, no, we we and and, and these devices are great. I mean, it, it, without these devices we probably wouldn't be doing what we're doing right now. I, think I wouldn't they know just you. Take away from, they just take away from there, there are pros, but there are cons. But I guess that's in everyday life with everything. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't know if not for these devices. I wouldn't know you. I wouldn't know Mike over in England. I wouldn't. I wouldn't know half of what's going on. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. These are these are things where you you'd see. I mean, if you remember, it wasn't that long ago before the cell phone thing was everybody had one. That uh, if you had a friend who lived far away from you, you communicated either by writing letters or spending an exorbitant amount of money with a, a long-distance phone call. Right. Where uh, Where do you think, uh, I mean, this is your podcast, but I'm asking you fucking questions like it's mine. But, uh, where, do you, where do you see the industry going? I mean, I know there's, uh, I was listening to some stuff the other day, and it was talking about the number of registered motorcycle owners in the United States being down, you know, way down. Uh, and what, what do you think the reason it's not down? That's, that's, that's not. Okay. So that's those numbers. You can do what, here's the thing about statistics. You can measure just about anything and you can tailor a statistic to, uh, your desired outcome or your desired hypothesis. Okay. So the chances of that. So when, when they're coming up with, there's fewer, Registration. There's more motorcycles today than there were 10 fucking years ago. And there's more people riding motorcycles today than there was 10 years ago. So that is not... It just means that there's less new registrations than there were a year ago. And there's lots of reasons for that. So vented interest rates aren't what they are last year at, at Harley right now. I mean, you're not going to go into Harley. The average person with an average credit score is not going to go into Harley-Davidson with a decent you know, 10% down payment and get zero interest or three percent interest harley's harley's never been competitive in the marketplace uh on through their eagle mark savings finance they've never been competitive compared to like a credit union or compared to a car 
where they look competitive is last year they could have had subvented interest rates at super low super low interest just to move motorcycles in the in the last quarter of the year because they have all these new models coming out and that's likely what happened to be honest with you they knew they had this brand new model coming out they needed to clear get the get these motorcycles sold get them off the dealer's floor plans so they incentivize the hell out of them give dealers kickbacks on them so there's a thing that a dealer gets called holdback so now no dealer will ever sponsor this podcast but a dealer gets a hold back and so when you look at the invoice on a on a on a motorcycle now i i know this just from being in the car business there's a certain percentage of money or certain flat rate amount of money that a dealer's going to get on on a per unit basis so if they've got if the dealer's got them sitting on the floor they're not going to take any new ones until those are gone right so the credit company comes up with in the motor company you know sometimes it's the credit companies usually it's the motor company comes up with an incentivized kickback to where they borrow the on the profits on the new bikes to pay off the debt on the that they leveraged on the old bikes use that as an incentive to the dealer and then the dealer can sell the, the motorcycle so a shit ton of motorcycles might have been sold last year because they knew they had to make room for this new model that people might not like you know what i mean i got what you're saying but I, but i mean as a whole, you don't think they can they keep track of whether whether it's new registration, old registration. They do. I mean, when what I'm say saying that the is, numbers are if the numbers are down. How many motorcycles do you own? A couple. Well, no, just I mean, I'm not I'm not being a smartass. I'm saying, give me give me a number. How many titles do you hold on motorcycles right now, including everything you have for sale? Six, eight. Okay, so eight motorcycles. How many of them have? How many of them are registered right now? Zero. <laughs> well, do you see my point? So you're not yeah, helping the fucking I statistic. Do. You're not. You're not contributing. To, you have one license plate that you move from fucking bike okay, to bike to bike. Okay. Shout out to Abilene okay. Police Department. Um, you know what I'm point, <laughs> point, point taken. But what I'm saying is, is. New new buyers, guys that are going out and buying new motorcycles. Yeah, they're not buying the new ones. They don't like them yet. They're waiting for that first okay. year jitter to get so, out of there. So guys that are going and buying used motorcycles still have to register them. Yeah, but that doesn't they show up as a new registration. That doesn't show up as a new registration. Okay. So so that being said, they don't quant- they don't they don't is- they don't do they don't count how many registrations are. They count how okay. many new registrations okay. are. So the red new registrations being down, mm-hmm. do you think it's because of price points on newer model motorcycles, or do you think it's because people don't are not as crazy about the newer model motorcycles? It's, it's both. There's three things at foot here. Number one, credit is cheap right now. So somebody with a marginal credit score can get more money loaned to them or any money loaned to them than compared to what they could get a couple years ago. So a guy with a 650 Beacon score... It's got like a grand saved up or two grand. He can go buy a used motorcycle from a dealer and they'll finance him at a higher interest rate. There's new models. Right. There's new models out, so people are kind of sketchy. So they're they're hanging on to their bike maybe another year longer than they would normally. Right? So there's guys out there that get a new bike every year, every two years or whatever. Maybe those guys are holding off to see how these new ones are. But and when are they going to redo the baggers? That's got to be coming. I mean, they can't just keep going down the same road. I'm I'm waiting for a monoshock bagger. I think that's next. 
I think that's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, you, you you could be right. I mean, you you, I mean, they're going to change it a little bit. I mean, I, I don't know. I I, I mean, I, I love the Harley Davidson aftermarket, and you like do rags, you know. <laughs> yeah, I love fucking do rags and, and get back fucking, whips. Do you guys have oh, those in Texas? Speaking of, speaking of do rags, you left your chaps here when you were here last time. So. Uh, <laughs> my assless ones. Yeah. My fingerless gloves. So what I, I just I don't do. You, do you feel like Harley's dropping the ball? No. Do you feel like Harley? Not at you all. You don't feel like they're dropping the ball. That's not what I think they're doing at all. I think they're probably building a better motorcycle than they have in many many years. They're using different kind of engineering techniques, but they're still paying homage to the V twin, which is inherently supposedly. I'm not. I'm not all knowing and all seeing, but I've heard that it from a, that it's not the most efficient model uh, of internal combustion engine that can be built i'm not going to dispute that um i still think that i not hold true to harley davidson not being a motorcycle company as much as they're a t-shirt company that sells unfinished motorcycles to the general public um okay yeah that's but that being, okay, i'm not going to change my said. my thought on that but i feel like i feel like they're not doing they're not doing what i would do but they're doing what they're doing and it's, it's okay. obviously working well, when i say maybe drop the ball was the right word but when i talk about harley and and all the people in the aftermarket industry that that i mean i'm sure harley gets some of their information and some of their engineering and i'm sure they get some r&d work from outside of their top secret labs but whether it's just because they pin somebody's idea or you know uh whatever but there's so many creative things going on in the aftermarket industry so many people pushing the envelope and I mean, you, you go back and you like so many people calling for a certain type or a certain look or I mean, let's just go back. Let's go back just for talking purposes to the chopper craze. Right. Like when the chopper thing got so fucking out of control, popular, what you and I would call the gold rush <laughs> era or the. Right. When it just was fucking bananas, you know. Like, well, I call the gold rush era. I mean, I coined that, alluding that to the chopper thing, that sweet spot in between um, not being on TV and, and Jesse for Jesse okay. and and when he started right. building, uh, right. you know. A, but a they went bananas. Rice. I mean, everybody everybody was building. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if I was choppers building choppers, and, uh, then fucking everybody was. There was people. There was people on TV building choppers, and I mean, there was there was people. I mean, dude, there was people running around getting autographs from motorcycle builders from being on TV <laughs> right. for building choppers. Right. That's how crazy choppers were. So, if Harley wanted to at that particular time, do you think that Harley could have put out a mild chopper? And sold every one of them that came off yep. the line. Yep, and it's you know, funny that so, you bring this so, up because this, they were so just talking about they? this. They were just talking about this on mm-hmm. Jace's podcast, and I went. I was like yelling at the at the radio because <laughs> they were asking the same question. And so I don't I don't have an answer. The Rocker C, for all intents and purposes, the Deuce was the was a was a good. It was the, in the right direction, but it had ended up looking like dog shit at the back end it's like they started out really strong and then the the rear fender and rear wheel combination was terrible and the only way to fix a deuce was to put a heartland kit on it and then they came out with the rocker c 
and which had the weird his and hers king and queen weird Jetson seat that you know. But the, to fix that bike, you put a Heartland kit on it, and that bike with a Heartland kit looks bitching. And now they have the breakout. So if they would have done each one of these things a lot sooner than what they did, I think they would have been much more successful and much much more pleased with their outcome. But well, they're, just, they're always I, late I mean, to the party. I know that, but but why we? I mean, I know that everybody tries to figure that out, and and maybe that that's why the aftermarket industry is as strong as I think it is, is because you know I had a guy tell me one time he goes, if Harley built the bikes how everybody wanted them to be, there wouldn't be an aftermarket. I there mean, wouldn't be, that, dude. That's, you know, People yeah, like us true. work in the aftermarket. Go look. There is nobody. I don't know a single person in all my years of doing this that left the aftermarket and got hired by Harley Davidson to fucking do anything of any substantive matter at all. It's not like no, they. Not, they not at all. You know they've gotten some. They've gotten some styling cues. I know for a fact that Jesse helped them do some of the uh, aesthetic R and D on um, the. the the rocker because I was, I was told that in not so many terms or not so many words when I was at NLP in 08, but there's, there's nobody that is just given up being an aftermarket. James Simonelli is not going to leave his post as the, the, the head R and D guy and product development guy and the brand manager of twin power to go work for Harley Davidson for lots of reasons. One, they're not going to ask him to, and two, he doesn't want to do that. Not gonna have any right, freedom because you're everything's playing to the shareholders. Well, like I had a guy tell me one time, he's like, you know, Harley does things to like this. Uh, my comment earlier about the wheels, they put those fucking wheels on that Sport Glide so people would buy new fucking wheels. I mean, I had a guy tell me that they put buckhorn handlebars on bikes back in the day just so people would change their fucking handlebars, or they put these ugly wheels that, that Harley that was their mindset. Hey, if we put a bunch of shit on these bikes that nobody likes, they'll go buy other shit. But they, I think they're wanting them to buy it from the dealer. No, they weren't. It's, it's they weren't at all. They didn't have the infrastructure, but they didn't have the imagination or the resources. So what they did is they created an aftermarket. The aftermarket kept Harley in business with AMF. So if you worked at Harley-Davidson in the 70s and you were building what is arguably a shitty motorcycle, I mean, uh, there was uh, cookie sheets with AMF stamped in them, slid underneath the motorcycles at the dealers when I was a little kid. You probably remember them too. Um, so in order to create job security for themselves, they did what was inexpensive. This is just my supposition, by the way, asterisk footnote. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. I'm talking on my ass, but they were able to create an aftermarket that kept them, kept them alive because it kept people coming back to the dealership to buy an unfinished motorcycle, you know? Right. Well, and, and, and I hear thing I hear things all the time about how, Harley wants to put the independent out of business. They do. And, they do. You know, and, and but but what Harley doesn't understand is the independent shops, the aftermarket industry, and all this sort of stuff. Without that, where does Harley sit in the game? Well, the pendulum has swung the, completely the, the other way that you just said. They created it. They they did it on purpose so that people would change wheels, right? Well, now Harley's internal doctrine they do not want people modifying motorcycles so they're trying to build motorcycles that are that are more finished that have wheels on them look at the street okay, glide but if there if there's no if there's no aftermarket and there's no independent shops do you still think harley sits at the head of the table there's no way to eliminate the independent shops there's it's too big of a it's a 
it's I always say I, it's I a that, billion, it's the smallest it, billion dollar industry that I can think of. But if there, but if it didn't exist, no, would Harley still sit at the head at the table? Um, at this point, they would just through prestige and through you know intestinal fortitude. They've they've been around. They never went out of business. Lots of other companies, you know, Indian. It looks like an Indian logo, but it's not the same people. It's not the same family. There's not even. It, there's no, there's nothing attaching the lineage other than a dollar. They bought the name that, right. that somebody else bought twenty fucking years ago, and they went out of business too. I don't know. There's not any proof that Indian's going to do well, other than the fact that Polaris has deeper pockets. I think than Harley Davidson does. They made money when everybody else was losing money with the side by side deal in oh seven, oh eight, oh nine, ten. Well, um, in the mystique of Harley Davidson, and the you know made in the USA thing that they carried for years which is not which is not true anymore but uh i mean not everything is made in the usa well and not I everything just, that's made just because it's made here doesn't mean it's better either just saying no no absolutely but i don't mean to keep know, talking about of, you, that's okay fucking asshole <laughs> uh, but i don't feel like we cuss enough compared to other podcasts i, I know we need we to say a say few more f-bombs fuck a lot more like <laughs> uh, uh, but but I, I just I, it what makes me mad at Harley and I get I find myself going man I really want to go buy a new Fat Bob and and do something to it and you know but at the same time I'm like you know why support Harley when they don't support a guy like you or me or or other friends of ours that are in the aftermarket industry and in the indie shop industry you know we're supporting. We're supporting an aftermarket industry, but in, in, in supporting the aftermarket industry and the independent shop industry, we well, still have to support Harley in order to do that. I mean, we still... Well, what, what kind of support would you want? Be specific. Give me some specificity. I mean, there's a difference between supporting us and there's a difference between that and trying to actually eradicate okay, us. Maybe, okay, maybe support's not the word. I feel like that they they are trying to eradicate. Yeah, they are. They're overtly know, trying to make things difficult for us by constantly like, changing like electronics. Your, your are, shop, your shop, or when I was in the in the business full time, and you know you don't sell bikes right now, but I sold bikes. If I, you know at any given time, I might have, let's just say, for me, fifteen bikes was a bunch of bikes. Mm-hmm. Okay, and if if I was going to a Harley auction in you know uh national power sports auction that i went to uh and buying bikes buying harleys from harley's auction you know why why not have harley set up a the ability for an independent shop to be able to sell a used harley with with eagle mark or with their finance company it only puts money back in harley's pocket well because they're not in the business of selling used bikes first off so uh, here's what I'll tell you: is they're they're not they're not going to do anything to sell used bikes because that's not the business they're in. But what I but have a problem want to sell they still want to sell parts and t-shirts. Though. Well, here's the thing: they don't have any problem doing that. So here here's here's what it is: if they really wanted to help independent shops, they would stop policing uh, dealers uh, in killing the free market. The market isn't allowed to bear what the market can bear, where they could actually make good money because they want to control everything. So by Flooding the market with units, they automatically drive the value of the of the product down because the supply and demand chain is is not equitable on both sides. 
right? So when I was a, when I was a young man, you couldn't just go buy a Harley Davidson. When I bought my first Harley Davidson, I bought it in March and I sold it in October for three thousand dollars more than I paid for it, and I had no trouble selling it. And I sold it to a guy across the country. <laughs> a year right. later, you couldn't do that anymore. Okay, so the supply and demand chain is off. What, if they really wanted to help help themselves, what they would do is they would see the value in selling uh, a shop like mine or yours parts at a reasonable markup. Because because what they do is they diminish they diminish the value of their own of their own parts because n- no one wants to sell them. I don't want to sell them. I don't make enough money. And you know what? I can sound like a dick for not wanting to make enough money. What's enough? Um, enough for me to take time from my day, drive 25 minutes out of my way. I drove 25 minutes out of my way this morning to go to Harley Davidson to the dealership for a part that cost a dollar and 85 cents. It would have been easier for me to just pay them over the phone for a stamp and have them put them in an envelope and send them out to me. You understand what I'm saying? But Harley Davidson, they have a they have a stronghold. I can't only I can only buy a certain number of parts. I can't buy online. I can't go to an online Harley Davidson so store. So why why do we continue to buy those parts from Because Harley they because the, there's an aftermarket that we can get. I tried to find it in the aftermarket. It wasn't something I could get from the aftermarket. But my point is is when I worked at the dealerships, when I had when I was a sales manager of the Ford store, we made a shit ton of money selling parts through from our parts department to other dealerships in the area that didn't stock as much as us as we as, as that's what Harley should do. They should have jobber accounts. They would make way more money. The parts cost would go way down and hear me out on this. So when they're building a part that's going to be a multi-year part, okay? They're going to use this XYZ part on starting in 2010. If they can make that part last till 2015, say, that's a 6-year run, production run. Not only are they paying for the part to build the bike, but some of those parts are going to break. So they're going to purchase them for aftermarket. Now, if they're selling aftermarket to me, let's like take an ignition switch. I'm buying ignition switches from either Drag or Biker's Choice, and I'm buying either a Drag or a Biker's Choice brand. I'm not buying a Harley brand, right? So there's an aftermarket created because they don't make enough switches because they won't sell them to us. You see what I'm saying? It's cheaper for somebody to make a sh- make a copy of their part, totally rip it off, totally copy it. It's cheaper to totally copy it, make a new one, than what it is to go buy it at the Harley dealer with a Harley part number on it. Am I making any sense? Yes. Yeah, I, I follow that. I mean, I, I just, I don't know. I, I, I just feel like sometimes maybe... Uh, <laughs> I don't think Harley has anything to gain by trying to kill independent shops no. or or the aftermarket industry. I mean, the local Harley shop here won't work on anything. It used to be ten years old. Ten years old. They won't I do. That's they, the, that's the other thing. So, so I think they've moved that up here, though. I think I think it's even going back less than ten years now. I think we're like five years or seven years now that they're not working on anything. I mean, so they they get. It's that's my point is so, but they're still pissy about selling us stuff at a fucking reasonable, a reasonable markup so that we can we can. I mean, they're not even using the goddamn part. That's literally right. that's what, that's what I'm saying. It's I bulldogging. It's, it's bullshit. To me, 
it's asinine to me. But it's even like they're, you know, it's just like Ford, Dodge, Chevrolet, your big car manufacturers. All the aftermarket automotive shops have access. I mean, they can get online, yep. search a part, yep. find what Ford store has it, yep. find if the Dodge store has it. They have access to the, the software, the computer technology, you know, the, the technician software. So they can scan and pull codes and fix stuff. And if you and put Harley, a fucking, if you put a General Motors or an AC Delco sign in front of your business, they understand the value of somebody else. It's like having your name to come out of somebody else's mouth in a positive manner. It's so sure. If I have a race car shop or an auto repair shop, and I put a big, you know, have you driven a Ford lately sign in front of my building? Ford's not going to send me a cease and desist. Harley, no, I mean, Harley no, did. I, I, Harley, the guy that owned, used to own the Harley store here, was calling me, threatening me about my sign out at the road. I'm like, dude, well, come take it. And, and, and I, I, where I live, I have a, a Harley dealership here that is 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 truly. Uh, you have a. I've been there. You have a very unique. Uh, you have a very unique relationship yeah. with your Harley store. I, I, I your do. dad I mean, cultivated guys, that before you. That's a, that's an old relationship sure. too. But but those guys those guys have treated me have treated me really well. There was a period there where you know I think Harley was squeezing them pretty hard. And, but I mean, but shit, why don't they release? I mean, some version of digital technician to the aftermarket world, and you know, do they think people? But what I don't get is, do they think people like okay, well, we can't we can't buy all the parts we want to buy through the aftermarket? Are we? Nobody can really work on the, the the computers the same as Harley dealerships with digital technician. Do they think people are just going to throw the fucking bikes away? They're going to persevere and find a way to get their bike worked on, get it fixed. If they've got to throw the fuel injection system in the trash and go back to a carburetor, or they've got... Well, look at I your mean, bike. Your the, bike, so what year is the motor in the orange bike? What year is the motor in my orange bike? Mm-hmm. That's not a 2012. Uh, well, I mean, it's, it's they were new Harley cases and R and R built. built okay, long block. so, I mean, so all right, so it's late model style twin cams. So it's uh, right oh seven through sixteen, and that's got a carburetor and a Thunderheart ignition using a, a factory Harley pickup. So uh, yeah. it's there, but you what know I'm, you can buy. What a, I'm saying is, go ahead. Is that I feel like Harley they cut their own they they cut their throat somewhat, and logistically I don't know how it all plays out, but. Why not, you know, if you're an indie shop and you're, you know, you can do the warranty work or you can, and I'm not saying new bike warranty work for, you know, but have the ability to get digital technician, have the ability to sell parts because Harley has, I guarantee you there are Harley shops all over the country with shelves stocked full of shit. They're never going to sell over the counter because, because the way they treat people, when the guy is like, well, I'm going to go down here to cycle stop and I'm going to buy it through drag because the cocksuckers over at Harley are not going to give me any kind of a break. You're not going to go over to Harley and buy it because they're going to give you fucking 5% off. Well, here's so the other thing, though. Drag. A lot of people aren't buying those kind of parts at Harley. You know what the kind of, you know how they're getting – here's what they're doing. They're getting a Harley Visa when they buy their new Harley-Davidson because every new Harley-Davidson comes with a pre-approved Visa card with a whatever limit on it. And they're using that card for their gas and they're, and they're, you know, they're getting their old lady to use it for uh, their groceries. And then they're getting Harley, Harley bucks. And then they're using those Harley bucks to buy their oil and buy their – uh, you know, the little onesie twosie, you know, tchotchke 
things that are bolted on because that's all the dealer sells anymore. When I was a kid and when you were a kid, the Harley dealer was an actual real live bike shop with a parts inventory and they did hot motors and they, you know, they did stroker cranks and you know what I mean? I can remember that being a kid. And the, the Harley dealer does not do that anymore. Harley does not want bikes modified at all. That's Harley's goal. That the but aftermarket what, what is all aesthetic. Mean, what is the end game for them, though? What does that do for them? They're not worried about an end game because here's the deal. And everybody with the Harley Davidson with the Davidson last name is just about got their. They have no control over well, it really anymore. It's so all to the shareholders. So that's all they're beholden to. And all well, the people okay, working so there are the same way. All the people working it's there, it's just a fucking job. It's all shareholder driven. Yeah. I think it's 100% shareholder driven. And what's not, so we'll say 90% shareholder driven as far as the direction that they take, because those are the people that they're beholden to. And the other people, or the other decisions are made based off of, um, people that are not like you and me, like I said, guys like you and I don't go work at Harley. We think we would. It seems like it would be wonderful, but we're not. In, we're not equipped to be indoctrinated. We're indoctrinated enough because we're riding, you know, what is arguably to some people a, ma- a motorcycle that's not. It's not overly engineered. You know, it's hard to argue right. with the. It's hard to argue with the engineering on a BMW. It really is. You can say sure. what you want, and everybody can. Kiss my ass. I mean, at the end of the day, that's a the BMW is a very well engineered motorcycle. I'm not a fan, but but you know why so many people are not riding a BMW and they're riding the Harley? Well, they're expensive. They're hard to fix. The aftermarket support isn't there. I mean, but my, that's my that's where I'm going. Yeah, the aftermarket support. The yeah. aftermarket support of this industry, in my opinion, is the is the reason that so many people choose the the harley davidson product yeah i mean you know you get in you get in, in interested in it because you see somebody driving it and they're cool they're fucking cool let's not forget about that and they're badass i mean it's you know i mean there's a few things as cool as a, as a custom motorcycle and i mean all across all facets you know custom choppers badass a custom touring bikes badass a custom big wheel bagger or a high performance bagger you know there's there's lots of cool stuff out there right now. Everybody's not going in the same direction, and there's lots of different little hives. You have the FXR guys that operate in a hive, and the Dyna guys that operate in a hive. You know, the big wheel bagger guys. Did I lose you? No, I'm here. Okay. <laughs> I was just, I was just listening, taking taking it all in. So, I'm just saying that uh, you know, I, I think that they're. They're trying to figure out how to sell bikes to people that aren't baby boomers. That's what they're really trying to do. You know, millennials aren't buying motorcycles the same as we are, or we did. You know, we're, well, I think we're Gen Y. I mean, you've, you've got several motorcycles right now. You've had several motorcycles. You've sold and bought and sold dozens of them probably over the course of the last 25 years. You know... So it's it's a it's it's a wide array of things, and there, there's not the same kind of people inside Harley Davidson. And if they were, they're not listening to to them because those people would be saying, "Build another FXR, build 
don't do this monoshock thing or whatever. You know what I mean? You get what I'm saying? The people that are like us yeah. that are inside Harley Davidson agree with what they're doing to some degree. They have to. You have to. Eventually, you get in line because you don't shit where you eat. <laughs> you know. Well, and I, and I and I mean I don't think they're going to ever build another FXR, and I think the FXR community is so small that yeah, they would all love to see it. But they I don't know think they really happen. would. If they I mean, did it, then everybody could have one again, and it wouldn't be as fucking cool. You understand right. what I'm saying? No, no, no. That's what I'm saying. Mike, Mike but, over but in think, England came up with a perfect analogy. He's like, your Dyn is your wife, your FXR is your girlfriend. You know what I mean? That's just hit one person's take on it. And he lives in England. There ain't, there ain't an, a mile of straight road anywhere. You know, he prefers the dyno over the, over the FXR for, for long rides and stuff. That's just saying that everybody's different. So if there was a dyna in every garage or the availability of them, how cool would it be? It wouldn't be as cool anymore. Yeah, I know. I, I mean, I get that. I mean, uh, I, I just, I guess, I don't know. Uh, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> I guess, I we can leave it there if you want. <laughs> it's It's been an hour and 40 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Anything uh, else you want to get in here? <laughs> I had all this stuff I wanted to talk about too. <laughs> well, and I mean, honestly, I, th- I think once we once we're done recording, then you and I can have a conversation on you know a couple other things. Uh, <laughs> some things you got some things you don't want to want to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm just I'm thinking maybe this was this was a a great test run for. Uh, you know, a podcast. I mean, I felt I'm, like it. I'm publishing this. You're fucking out of your goddamn mind if you think I'm not publishing. <laughs> this is gold right here. This is this is this is real talk. <laughs> real talk. Real talk. Real hashtag. Real talk. So uh, you're just, of course, you're 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 really you're so covert on Instagram. You're at Cody Childress <laughs> Instagram. You're how come you didn't? Were you Whoville at one point in time on there for your for your screen name, or were you always Cody? Nah, I've, I've always been Cody Childress on Instagram, and, and I've and I've contemplated doing a Whoville page, and you know, I, I have a Whoville page on Facebook that I failed to update on. I was just gonna say that you that that I get all the updates <laughs> on. <laughs> I get all the the, the requests. That, hey, Cody, just wondering, you know, and I'm like, hey, you'll have to you'll have to DM him. That's <laughs> uh, funny. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I would, I would like to, I would like to start a Whoville page. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to. I don't work in the industry full time. I, I guess. I mean, it's almost like I have two jobs because I feel like I do motorcycle stuff full time sometimes. And uh, you know, I, I was in the business full time until I don't know, 2010, 11, I guess, and then. Uh, made some changes and I'm, I'm doing some different stuff, but, I, but I love the aftermarket motorcycle industry. I just, I, 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 not just the motorcycles, but the people I've met, you know, and, and going to the rallies and seeing the products and, you know, and, and I, I love doing it. I mean, I, I think again, in the future, I would love to do it full time again. You know, I just, I think I got burned out on some things and, and, you know, with social media now and, all the things that go with it, man. I mean, it's, it's a lot of fun. I mean, it, it's, it's fun to see what other people are doing. I mean, it's, you know, I love to see what you're doing at your shop and, 
you know, what other people are producing and the products and, you know, guys like Boosted Brad and Jace that are painting, you know, and there's so many other great painters out there. Those two guys I just know and have done work for me. And I have, uh, yeah, I have no desire to not do this. I don't, I don't ever foresee me just going, I'm done. I'm going home. I'm not doing this anymore. It's, it's definitely, I think you have, you have a lot to offer to the industry. I mean, you're smart. Uh, you know, I've learned a lot over the, you know, since we've become friends, just, and, and stuff that I didn't know. I mean, I, I would tell people all the time, service is not my number one forte. I can do it, and I'm very uh, meticulous in doing it. It's just not the most fun to me. I mean, you know, but but I think if you're going to be in you, – you, I say you have to decide. You don't have to decide what aspect of the motorcycle business you're going to be in. You, you know, you can build bikes and do service and – and if you're in it long enough, you dude, you're going to do you're, you're going to do a yeah. little bit of everything. I mean, you've done yeah, things in the motorcycle business that I haven't completely. You know, I've uh, never built and, a gas and, tank. And, and I want to continue to do. You know, I've I wish I had the moxie to put myself out there and and be that guy that had all the confidence in the world. I mean, I hold myself to a pretty high standard. And, uh, you know, now there's guys out there that are just doing shit that, you know without dedicating your life to doing doing some of the metal fabrication and some of the stuff that you know but for the, for the majority of the stuff that I've done I've you know I've painted some bikes I've I've wired some bikes which is not my forte that's why you fly in and help me <laughs> uh you know I I've I've done a lot of fab work and uh you know I I try to be hands on a little bit of every part of every bike that I do I mean I don't have a team of guys that come in and do the metal fab and then a team of guys that come in and do the paint, you know, and a team of guys that, that come in and wire and do everything on every bike. I mean, I just, no, I don't have that. Uh, and neither, neither do you. I mean, we're, you know, I, I want to be, I want to have some part in, in all the bikes that I'm doing. And, you know, I, I just, I, I, sometimes I'm just in my, my own opinion, I'm just a guy in his backyard that's, putting some bikes together and every once in a while, maybe I put one together. Right. I wish I had a, a more of a, I'm just not ever going to be that guy. That's like, I'm the fucking best bike builder. I'm I not going to be that guy. I ever. don't, I don't know anybody who says that. I really don't. I mean, I know there's people out there that say they don't believe that somebody built a better bike than them, but I think that's as a whole, um, there's very few people. There's I mean, just, there's so much talent out there though. There's just, there's so many guys that are incredibly talented in this industry that are probably just not just talented in this industry. It's just what part of it we see is in this industry. They're probably talented at so much other shit too. I mean, but there's some really talented people out there. I mean, you know, from, from metal shaping to painting. To yeah. I think there's only a handful of guys that you could throw in a room with a bunch of raw material and parts not put together and, and get a motorcycle out the other side. I'm not, I'm definitely not one of them. I can I could help somebody do that, but there's there's not a lot of Aaron Greens in the industry. There's not a lot of Jim Nazis in the industry. There's not a lot of you know. There's and then you have guys, you know. I, I, there's not really a hierarchy. I guess you just you have guys that have been in the industry longer than others. You got guys like Dave Covington that is uber talented. You know, he's got a lot of vision. Well, and they and just do it good every fucking time. I mean, they don't. There's just, never a turd I mean, coming out of that shop. No. I mean, they don't, they're like, oh, fuck, I missed it. No. No, they're not no. missing it. I mean, they're, for what that, they're doing, they're nailing it every fucking time. Go to his trailer sometime. Every bike at his fucking oh, trailer there. is, yeah. 
is, and they're not all the same. They're all perfect. I mean, when I say they're perfect, it's not like they're the perfect motorcycle, but they're all, they're all done at the same level. I mean, they're, they're all, he picks the parts and the paint and the, you know. How cool is it though, to go to Sturgis or Daytona or whatever and walk down main street or, or whatever and see so many, you know, so many different booths with so many different products and so many different builders and, you know, and you, the craftsmanship of so many different things is, you know, it's really good. I mean, you know, and, and, and I get there's different aspects of it and how people do it. I mean, like you say, like, I mean, Aaron, you put Aaron green in a room with very few things and the guy can, I mean, he's just, that's what's going to happen. Yeah. You're going to get, and you're going to get something spectacular. Yeah. I mean that, that, I don't know if people are following him or not, but, uh, if they're not, then they need to, he's, yeah, he's building a bike, man. That's just, you're only getting snippets of it here and there, but it's just going to be incredible. I mean, I don't know if people remember back, but you know, when was the first 26, who had the first 26 inch wheel on a bike? Oh, I, it was Aaron's or, El, El Rey, or uh, uh, what was that called? Not Elwood. 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 Yeah, yeah Elwood. Elwood. Yeah. And, and and the rear wheel was a twenty, I believe, with a two, or maybe maybe it was an eighteen, but it had a two eighty. I mean, the first two eighty bike I ever did, Aaron Aaron gave me the two eighty tire from Metzler because he had gotten some in from Germany, and he, and I bought a frame from him. He's like, if if you'll buy a frame, I'll give you one of these two eighty tires. I built a two eighty bike year like oh five maybe you know and he was doing 26 inch wheel bikes and 360 i mean he was doing crazy shit before people were really doing crazy shit and, and he was making people it work it before him and he was making oh, it work yeah. but if, if you look at there was a place i don't want to say their name because it's mean but there was a place in michigan that had a, that was kind of getting known for doing 360 bikes and they uh, aesthetically they were dog shit they were dog shit. And then you go look at white knuckles and that's an engineering marvel in and of itself. That thing should be in, in the Smithsonian. That well, is that frame that, alone, dude, that frame alone was, is, is in my opinion is, is everything that I've done in the motorcycle industry and been around and seen that, that soft, what they call, I think he called it the soft rigid. Yeah. I mean, I got to see how that thing worked, you know, up close and personal, before they put it in artistry iron in Vegas the year that they did. And was, I, I mean, it, it was so far above my level of thinking that I was just like, what the fuck, man, these <laughs> guys, I mean, I, I, I'm older than they are. And if they, at the time they were kids yeah. and I'm like, fuck man, these guys are, this is the coolest shit ever. And I so wanted that, that frame to come into production and be something that, because I still to this day think it's, it's fucking amazing in my opinion. And white knuckles, man, that thing was just off the fucking charts, all the shit that they did. I don't, I don't think people really have you, your everyday motorcycle enthusiast has no grasp. Well, if they would have had concept. Instagram around in 2000, you know, four, like it's around 2014 up, it would have been an entirely different game. Cause, cause I mean, the stuff yeah. they were doing, you know, cherry bomb, um, Elwood, White Knuckle, those bikes they did. And if you, if anybody, if anybody, ca- you know, cares to listen to this podcast, and you're getting this, and you're still listening this far in, Google those bikes. 
Paramount Custom Cycles. Look at look at White Knuckles. There's a video of it on YouTube. That thing running on alcohol, and uh, dear God, that thing was ridiculous. Just ridiculous. Yeah. You know these bikes are in, in the bikes that he built were just there. They were, and aesthetically they were right, and they worked mechanically. You know he wasn't somebody who put sure. shit out there that didn't work. No, and as wild as it was, it still worked. I mean, people were like, fuck, that's the wildest shit I've ever seen. Yeah. But it worked. Yeah. I mean, it, the, you know, White Knuckles had a fucking fully functional, you know, I mean, the uh, root style Butterflies on the tank. Yeah. Yeah. With, With the butterflies built in the injected. gas tank, they were functioning. Yeah. I mean, alcohol you know. injected. That thing was insane. <laughs> so he's, he's, He's just one of those guys. So, but, I mean, there's and there's other guys out there that are doing. That, He's a trifle. He's really a rare cool talent. Stuff. Rare talent. Yeah, he is. So, um, well, shit, uh, man, I'm about yeah, to hop off this thing. We're we're about two hours. Are you are you? you I good? Thought things, I thought they were supposed to be like four hours long or something. I thought no, <laughs> can't be fucking insta famous. No, they I, need to be I, about to keep anybody's attention anymore. They need to be about. 12 minutes long and then that's where danny dixon's you know. got it figured out in that mf ceo dude that andy frizella what's that you said that's what who said danny dixon and uh in andy frizella they both they've they've got that they've got that figured out the the short cast yeah is that what they're called short cast that's what i just called it I just called I mean, it here. This is the first I, time I, you heard I'm it. I'm thinking it would be fun to do, you know, one of these a, a week or one of these a month. And, we need to do know, them once a week. Different things. Once a we'll week. Do th- talk about things in the industry and maybe, you know, shine some light on some some guys out there that, you know, other people may not know. And I don't know. We need to get our fucking names out there. We're, you know. We're pretty we're big time. We're, we're pretty talented. Anybody else. <laughs> dude, I can talk uh, shit with anyone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like fuck, I, I can make If there was a talk I shit Olympics, make. dude, I would be fucking like that that swimmer with webbed feet. Yeah. What was his name? I can make shit up. Wow, the swimmer with webbed feet? The no, swimmer? Like Donald Duck? I don't no, the swimmer know. that won all the won all the Michael, Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps, yeah. You'd be the Bruce Jenner. <laughs> Trying to end the friendship. <laughs> Trying to end the friendship with the podcast. Yeah. 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 Guess what? That weekly podcast that's going to happen every week ain't going to be happening no more. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I've enjoyed doing it. I mean, I think that I, I really didn't even get to talk about a lot of stuff I wanted to talk about. You what did you want to talk about? Took over the whole took over the whole show and just ramrodded it. But, <laughs> ramrodded um, it, my ass. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, fucker. I, I don't. I think we were too serious. I don't think there was enough shit talking. I think we needed to be, like, you know. I think we needed to talk more shit. <laughs> I think we I needed know. to figure out and make sure that the computer worked and everything first, and then get get one episode yeah. out, and then we'll then we'll I, send I it hope, out. I hope. I hope. I hope you delete it by accident somehow, and we have to do another one. So no, I'm gonna I'm gonna publish this one. Maybe I'll make it like only available for 24 hours. <laughs> right, a top secret fucking. We're gonna like look up and be like, "Oh, y'all got one view, right? On. One, one, one view, and it's because my daughter wanted to listen to it." So. <laughs> oh man! All right, All homeboy, right, I'm gonna go to bed. It's twelve. It's twelve o'clock here. Twelve ten, actually. Ah uh, well, do some more bitching later, homie. Take, you need to take some triactin. <laughs> triactin? What is that? Triactin like a fucking man. <laughs> Eat a dick. Bye. Uh, (laughs) See you. Bye.